Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the podcast from Running Light Ministries. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we are going to talk on our second part, right? This is a second part of a 20-part series. <laughs> we did our first part and it got deleted. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the third one. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, but anyway, this is a second part series that we're doing. We don't know how long this is going to go, but it's basically on the issue that came up with Ravi Zacharias and the sex immorality scandal. What would you call it? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess you call it that. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Would you call it a scandal? I would say it's a scandal because it was hidden and it was something that came out. So, yeah, I'd, I'd call it that. Yeah. So in our first part, we kind of just talked about what it was that happened and kind of our first reactions on those things. And um, now we're kind of touching a little bit on uh, kind of what, how this is kind of common with men. Yeah. And so you guys, you want to kind of talk a little bit about that, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. So. When you go through the Bible, I think it's really interesting, especially in Jesus. He seems to be very concerned with his disciples and their view of power. So when you go through the Gospels, you see in the beginning, the disciples' view of power is they're actually like really psyched about it. You know, they seem to want to have authority. They want to be, you know, they have the debates about who's going to be the greatest. You have, uh, I think it's Andrew's mom comes to Jesus and Andrew and uh, what's his brother's name? Andrew and John. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's John and Andrew and their mom comes up to Jesus and they're like, "Let let my son sit on your left and right hand." Uh, and then you also have the sons of thunder wanting to call down fire on people. So you see this this desire for authority and for power very deeply rooted within the apostles. And uh, you see how they view people that they see they deem to be under them as well. So, for instance, when Jesus is hanging out with women, they seem to be very bothered by it. And when he's hanging out with children, they also seem to be very bothered by it or Gentiles. So you see they have kind of like this interesting authoritarian type view of people around them and of themselves. And Jesus is really strict and he's constantly warning them about lording their power over people. And he gives really, really, I would, I would say very detailed warnings about what's going to happen to them if they use their power in a way that violates somebody else. For instance, uh, when Jesus says, <clears throat> if you cause one, even one of these little ones to stumble, then it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea. Uh, or, Andrew's brother was Peter. Oh, okay. So it must not have been Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I don't know it. I think James and John, the Sons of Thunder. That's what you were thinking. That would probably it would probably most likely be James and John. Yeah. yeah. And um, you you see that Jesus was very much cautious of this, and then you also go through the rest of the Bible, and you see that there's there is a long history of people utilizing their power and authority, specifically men, but there is actually one instance of a woman who does this, Potiphar's wife. But you see instances of people utilizing their power and authority to abuse and mistreat people, specifically women. I think about the sons of Eli, the priest in 1 Samuel, who were basically using their authority as the priest's son to sleep with women. Was that Hophni and Phinehas? Hophni and Phinehas, yeah. 
And then you also have, obviously, David and pretty much every king use their power and authority to abuse and subjugate women. Um, and then you also have, beyond the kings and beyond the priests who did this, you also have, even in the, uh, not so much in the prophets, but definitely within the, the patriarchs, you have attitudes like that towards women, uh, spe- specifically Jacob. And the way he treats his wives, <laughs> the fact that he had wives is bad enough. But there's definitely a, a common theme throughout not only the Bible, but throughout history. Meaning it's not it's not like the people in the Bible, and I hate to say it this way, it's not like they're abnormal. You know, It's not like you look at the dudes in the Bible and you're like, you're abnormally bad. Mm-hmm. It seems like the people, what the Bible does is it just records humanity. It records what men tend to do what mankind tends to do with authority and that's really bad and it does go all the way back to the garden where when god is pronouncing the curses over adam and eve one of the curses that he gives is he says to eve your husband uh, your desire will be for your husband but he shall rule over you and uh, the word that he uses for rule is a word that denotes subjugation and oppression so it's, it's rooted in us as men. It's rooted in us in our, uh, in our history and the things that we do. Absolutely. That's, that's good stuff. I just want to let people know that this is episode number 106. Yes. That was really important for me to put in there right, right now <laughs> in the podcast. Going, 106. That's a big one for us. Um, you know, maybe... I'd like to get your take on this, but do you think maybe that's why we're seeing the social movements today? It's almost like a ramification, if you will, of thousands of years of a lot of oppression. Yeah. And I guess a lot of people don't see it that way or they might discard some of that. They might say, oh, well, it really wasn't that oppressive. Um, But, you you know, it's so true that, you know, the philosophers are men. The historians are men. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely a... When we talk about what a feminist would call like the patriarchy, that there's this male-owned world and women are just kind of in it. <clears throat> what they're referencing is they're referencing the idea that it tends that the majority of people who run the society, and when you look at it, it's like the philosophers, the teachers, the politicians, they tend to be men. And uh, there's reasons for it, you know, uh, even in more free societies, the number of women, like you go into the uh, Switzerland and Sweden and places like that that are very very much empowering towards women, you see that they still don't occupy positions like that in the numbers that men do. Meaning when you free up women to do what they naturally want to do, you don't see large numbers of women occupying uh, top CEO positions, political positions, things like that. You see them do it, but just not in the quantities of men. And, you know, obviously when we look at the differences between men and women, a lot of men have always looked at that as superiority. 
we're better to lead because we're more intelligent, we're stronger, we're more decisive, assertive, we're less emotional. So therefore, it's our right to kind of rule and lead. And that perspective of superiority has fueled the oppression for sure. And uh, absolutely, there is a perspective. Like if, if you are someone who doesn't believe that historically women have been oppressed by men, you're not a very good student of history, I would say. Um, now, another kind of interesting point to this, Shelby Steele, who's a, uh, he's, I wouldn't really call him an activist. He's an author. He's a, he's a thinker for sure. Uh, he is a professional pontificator. That would be a good way to put it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's really, really bright dude. And uh, he's written extensively on black and white issues racial issues. And in one of his books, he talks about how when someone's been oppressed for a very, very long time, the initial power that they get is through guilt. And he speaks on it from the black perspective. And uh, he's like, when white America started apologizing to black Americans, what ended up happening is the black Americans started to realize like, for the first time ever, we have a lot of power. We have a lot of power and ability to get what we want from people utilizing this guilt. And you see people like in the NAACP really capitalizing on this and moving in powerful ways throughout legislation and to essentially do what they want in society. And it's not that everyone took advantage of it, but there was a lot of people that a lot of people who had been held down, who saw that as a means of getting what they wanted. The same kind of thing has happened throughout the feminist movement, where there was a time where the feminist movement was simply going against the patriarchy and just saying, we want equal rights. We want the ability to do what men do. We don't, we don't necessarily think that women should be forced to do what men do, but we think that we should have the opportunity to do what men do. That began that way, and it's now shifted and morphed, and a lot of women utilizing that oppressed status now see it as a means of power. I think about the Me Too movement, where the Me Too movement started out as a really, really good thing, where what it was is it was giving women a voice to be able to speak out against sexual harassment and sexual abuse. But at this point, it's morphed, and it's done great things for people who have actually been hurt by these things, but it's also given a voice to some women who haven't been hurt by these things but they simply want attention or they want to grab people. They want to make power grabs basically. And they realize that people will listen to them and they will do whatever they want basically if they see them as someone who's been oppressed. What are your thoughts on that stuff? I, I mean, I totally, I have a lot of thoughts on that <laughs> stuff, <laughs> as you know. But I, I kind of want to pull it back into, you know, Ravi and how, how, do you, how do you think all this affects or kind of has... <laughs> led to, how does it relate to Ravi Zacharias and Absolutely. kind of what happened? So with Ravi Zacharias, the way it relates to him is he kind of fits under that category of the average person who ascended to power and utilized that power in a, in a not so great way. And what I mean by that is there's really no evidence that I have seen that prior to Ravi's ascension, if you want to call it that way, his uh, kind of taking the public stage and becoming a very famous apologist where he has uh, and owning his own ministry and having a lot of autonomy and a lot of power and a lot of praise. 
prior to that, there's no evidence that I can see that he was a sexually prolific guy. I mean, I don't really see any evidence that in his 20s or in his teenage years, he was having sex with tons of girls. It was only until he started getting this type of prestige and this type of power that he started moving in these types of directions. So when you read the testimonies of the women that were sexually taken advantage of by Ravi Zacharias, you see that there is a wielding of this kind of power that he has over them. Meaning it's not like a guy approaching a girl at a bar and saying, hey, I think you're attractive or even messaging them on like a, a dating site or something like that. It's like him going to these women, asking them what's going on in their life, giving them real counsel, getting like kind of a knowledge of who they are, starting to use that information to manipulate them, explaining things about how he is in a position of authority and how they should be thankful that they get to be with him. Uh, explaining how David had concubines and they should be, they should pray and thank God that they have the ability to be kind of like a sexual relief for him. Uh, even taking some of these women uh, personally with him, these masseuses personally with him on trips and uh, under the guise of them being a personal massage therapist for him and utilizing his position to silence them as well. Uh, saying like, hey, if you tell anyone, you'll be responsible for the loss of faith of thousands of people and things like that. Uh, so you see him wielding that power in order to get what he wants from these women. And you see that same power silencing these women and moving them in a position where they feel like they can't speak out. Yeah, it seems like at the root of it is, you know, we just think a lot of ourselves mm. as human beings, right? Yeah. We we tend to just go, hey, I'm really all that. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> and man, the ministry I have is awesome. And, yeah. And you start to believe your own press. Yeah, I guess that's it. Right. When, you know, the gospel doesn't need me, you know, it's going to do fine without Robbie. Right. Without any of our ministries, the gospel will continue, you know, to go forth. God will raise people up. But we tend to think uh, we are pretty good. Maybe that's just the root of it is there that that pride. pride, Right. Absolutely. And that, again, that's why Jesus was warning his disciples so vehemently against that. You know, yeah. Be like a child. Yeah. Right. Why is he saying be like a child? And there's, there's many facets to it. Some people mm-hmm. have mentioned faith and stuff like that. But the context of that story is the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Yeah. What's so great about a child? Not much. <laughs> you know, and that's the whole point. Jesus yeah. is like, be like this kid. Don't think that you have this power. Like kids are fragile. Yeah. Kids are weak. Kids are vulnerable. Yeah. Jesus is like, don't put yourself in that position of power and authority. And, and kids think aren't thinking too much, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're not thinking too much about their own power in, no. in light of their culture. Right. You know? Right. They don't. And, and that was Jesus' point. Like, these kids don't have power. They don't have authority. Call no one Lord. Yeah. Call no one teacher. Right. These are words of Jesus. Now, he's not saying that power is bad. And this is an important thing because if power was bad, God would have never created kings. He would have never created prophets. And he would have never established 12 people specifically yeah, to run his church. Authority. It's not authority. the power is bad. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's not the authority is bad. It's the heart of man that twists it. And, you know, we, we know that Peter definitely started to understand this at least. Mm-hmm. So when he's writing his letter, First Peter, uh, in chapter 5, he's talking about people in authority 
And he's warning them about this as well. He says, do not lord over people. Um, he, he says, instead, be an example to the flock. So there's definitely a danger. And I, I think that we'd be foolish to think that we're immune to it. There's a danger for all those in authority to utilize their authority to oppress others, for sure. Uh, the, the way that you're going to oppress people, I think, differs depending on the individual. I think some people will not be tempted to use their authority or their power to get sexual favors from others. But they will be tempted to use their power and their authority in order to get maybe financial favors or to simply get accolades and praise and to boost their ego in that way. Or maybe just to get their way all the time. You know, you're, you're in a position where as a pastor or as a leader, you realize you can just tell people something and they'll just believe you. Um, so having that authority over people's lives, being able to control them, it's tempting for sure. Yeah, and I look at it like this too. A lot of people are parents. And how many parents have used their authority in a wrong way? So it's not like we're, as human beings, we're not, it's not like odd for us to abuse our authority or power. Right. That is something that is a product of the fall, the Bible says, and it's part of our sinful inclination, Yeah. you know, is to abuse it. So Ravi, uh, but, you know, there's things that were not in Ravi's life, obviously. And someone, I was talking to someone about the issues with this in particular, and they said something really interesting. They said, you know, Ravi wasn't part of a church. And it, and it kind of hit me odd that they said that because you think, oh, of course he's part of a church. I mean, he's one of the biggest apologists on the globe. Right. <laughs> and, and then I, I took a step back and thought about it a little bit. I go, I wonder if he was a part of a church, <laughs> you know, if he really, you know, because when you travel that much. Right. And you're always on the road. Um, I just thought, God, you know, like our lives are, you know, Wednesdays, Sundays, we're in church. We have groups that we're a part of. We're talking to each other all the time. You know, hey, this is a, a battle I'm fighting. This is a, uh, an issue I need prayer for. This is I need help here. You know, that's always going on in our lives. Yeah. We're seeing each other almost on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And we're talking to each other on that basis as well and so there's a community that's built within the body of christ right and everybody's important you need the toe you need the arm you <laughs> need the hand yeah and and i wonder if that just wasn't a part of that guy's life if he got so busy and sometimes that's just maybe the the pull of our world is we get so busy yeah that we're not able to slow down yeah and do some of the simple things that the the bible talks about right no i i definitely would see that i mean i don't know too much about robbie's personal life and how he operated but i could see that as being a huge temptation for someone even even for me you know i'm like small time i'm just like uh you know a associate pastor at this church which is you know it's not a huge church you know but it, it's uh I, I think the work we're doing is meaningful, but I don't think that it's like as big or as loud as like Robbie Zacharias's ministry at any any stretch of the yeah, or even other churches in our town, or even yeah, other churches in our community itself. But <clears throat> what I would say is that even for me, there's a temptation to like on Sundays or on Wednesdays to be like so busy, like doing stuff, 
to not sit in and to get the word and to not uh, feel the need to have accountability and to, to be around other people where you just you're like, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm like, I'm the head of this, I'm the head of that. And to have that added temptation of not wanting to take a position of vulnerability because you're the leader in so many different areas to feel weird saying things like, well, I don't know, or I'm struggling, or this is difficult for me, or maybe I shouldn't do that because of how tempting it is for me to take advantage of this. You know, that, that becomes more and more difficult, the more power and the more authority you get. Yeah. I really, really, uh, have a have a new developed respect for Jordan Peterson. I was just listening to one of his interviews after his time of being away and and uh, dealing with the mental illness that he's had mm-hmm. and um, um, you know issues of depression and that's kind of how he you know, he's put it. But yeah. um, man, I'm you know a guy on that level. You know when you, when a person is at that level of popularity and then and writes books on, you know, you know, 12 things that'll help you in your life. And, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you, you tank and then, you know, you come back, you know, and that's how we, we use terms like that. They, you tank, you take a, a header, you know, you, and, and sometimes we always feel like we have to be super strong. Right. And that is a part of our world and the psyche that we have as human beings. And we feel like we have to kind of uh, continue to build and build and build. Yeah. We can't, we're not just content with being a person in the community. We need to be someone that's literally moving the community. Right. And, and, you know, I don't, there's a, there's a, there's something in there, uh, in us yeah. that even, you know, if Jesus taught us anything, it's, you know, consider others better than yourself. Right. You know, can come up, be humble with one another. And that just seems like in communal settings, it's very difficult for us to do. Like the apostles, we always want to go, oh yeah, I want to be a part of the community. Right. But you really don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. You want to be above, above it. Above it, yeah. And that's the danger. Uh, it's absolutely a danger. And it, it's it's interesting to me that when God first established Israel as a nation, he actually didn't want them to have a king. You know, and one of his warnings was like, dude, this king, he's going to he's gonna send your sons off to war. But one of the warnings was he's going to take your daughters. And I always thought that was like really interesting that that's the warning. <laughs> that this dude, Like, why is that a warning? And I think it's very obvious that when people have power, they use it in bad ways, you know, it's very easy or simple for it to go to your head. Uh, I was, I was reading in the Proverbs the other day, it's Proverbs 28 and it says the fire for gold, the crucible for silver. And so the praise of a man will be his true test. And I I love that. I was like, man, it's so crazy that the Bible would say that, that it's not adversity. That's the true test of your character, but it's praise and adoration that's really going to test your character to see what kind of a guy you really are. Yeah. And so I I think that as any level of leadership that you have, whether it's just in the home or at church, I think that there has to be a recognition that there's a temptation available for you 
to use that power to oppress others or to use it to subjugate others or to use other people. Yeah, so the best thing you probably can do in any position of authority <clears throat> is learn how to confess problems in your life. Right. And I know that sounds totally against everything. Yeah. You know, a CEO of a company doesn't become a CEO of a company probably by confessing his failures. Right. You know, it's by showing strength all the time. And 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 it creates a, a an illusion, you know, for people that make us all think like, oh, that person's strong. Right. You know, and then when someone doesn't hold up their strength, then people become bummed. Right. And let down and start burning books or start saying, oh, he's, he's uh, whatever, false this, that, you know, he's false that. He's the, where, well, why did you build the illusion in the first place that this guy was strong? Right. You know, it seems like the, a good understanding of your authority is when you're willing to talk about your weakness. Right. And if you're not talking about your weakness, then maybe that's a red flag. And not in the fake way that some people do it. You know, the job interview, what's your greatest weakness? I work too hard. <laughs> you know, I, I care too much. You know, like, you know, like, stuff like that. It tends to be like the weaknesses you hear from the pulpit, stuff like that. But real weaknesses, real struggles. Real temptations, Real temptations, yeah. Not the not the fake ones, you know, <laughs> that make us feel better. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and those even sound great. I know. I tend to spend too much time in the Word. That's <laughs> not right. enough time. I'm doing too many hospital visits. Yeah, I do too many hospital visits. I'm loving I pray people. too much. You know? <laughs> and I'm tired. <laughs> you know, oh, man. And, and one of the, the other warnings that I was uh, trying to get at at the beginning when, when you were asking me about some of the feminist movements and stuff like that as being a, a reaction yeah. to the oppression is that there's also a warning for people who have been oppressed or hurt in their life. And that is that, like I said, once you gain that victim status in our culture and society, you are seen as being greater than. So in other words, <clears throat> what some feminists have made the leap to think is the reason that men have oppressed women historically is because men are inferior to women and if women were in charge that wouldn't have happened uh or or some i have even heard a lot of uh you know i could throw out names of like celebrities i'm not going to but even celebrities who have publicly stated that if the africans were the ones who were in who had the majority of power and authority they would have never enslaved the white man basically if they were in that position they wouldn't have done it or when a lot of people think about like the Nazis, they think like, well, the Nazi, I would have never done that, right? And Jordan Peterson has a great talk where he's like, if you were in Nazi Germany, you would have been oppressing Jews. You know, like the, it's just it's just the way it is. You know, that's what people do. Uh, there's a there's a danger in believing in the superiority of yourself to the oppressor, thinking I would have never done that. Well, there's a word for that. It's called oppression. So now you're looking at the oppressor. And you see yourself as being superior, and therefore you feel like you have the right to oppress that person. And I think a lot of that's, you just did a video on social justice. You're, you're talking a little bit about the Equity um, Equality Act. Right, right. And um, 
I'm, there I am getting equity and equality. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> we're all up. getting that a little confused. Yeah, I know. Because it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, you just did a video on the um, Equality Act. Right. But I, I think that social justice, that's a lot of what we're seeing today. That's right. why you have things like critical race theory or mm-hmm. critical justice theory or critical social theories, you know, is just because people are realizing there is this issue mm-hmm. of oppression and that's true right you know there is this issue and they tend to think like hey if we become you know if we have our way and there's an uh, an equity outcome right um then it seems like there's a balance of power right now that sounds great on paper right i mean obviously there's so many variables mm-hmm. um and problems that we'll come down the pike and we'll all right it looks we'll like we're all going to learn it. that yeah. <laughs> as we go that it, uh, you know but um but you know i mean hopefully that uh, people that are listening to this that go hey you know i hate what's going on in our country right now and i hate what's happening with the social justice movement and yeah. you know this critical stuff and theories and stuff like that uh but there's a reason why it's here yeah you know, it's not. It didn't just come out of the the vacuum right. of nothingness. Right. You know? It's a reaction. It's a reaction. Even Marxism was a reaction. Right. You know, to something in that day. Right. And um, and you know, you know, these movements are just an outcome of other things. Right. That have gone on. Absolutely. And and the thing that we need to be like the, the whole point that I'm trying to get across in this in this talk is just the idea that you have to understand the issue is not the policy. The issue is not the ideology. Not always. Sometimes some ideologies are more toxic than others for sure. But the prime issue is our issue of power. So for instance, the people like the social justice warriors and people like that, when they first started coming up and fighting against this kind of oppression, there was a nobility in the beginning. You know, you, you track these things back to the feminist movements and the civil rights movements. There was a huge nobility in what they were trying to do. But now what's happened is those same people who were fighting the oppressors have moved into the position where they can oppress. And what are they doing with that of power? They're oppressing. Right? They're silencing their opponents and they're moving into the position where they're taking away freedoms and liberties from those who disagree with them. Hmm. So they're doing the exact same things that they were offended by in the beginning. So the, the, the danger is what I'm saying is the danger is power. And we can all fall prey to the whole ends justify the means type morality, where if I were to talk to one of those people, they would believe that what they're doing is genuinely better for everybody. Because like, what, isn't it better that we silence people who are racist or bigots or people who would oppress others? And I would say like, well, yeah, but <laughs> now you're, but in, in theory, but now you're defining who you think of as being an oppressor or a violent person. And now you're silencing them. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's a position of power. In a, in a big question, I think even today that needs to be asked, even in the Ravi Zacharias thing is, is what he did wrong. Right. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Right. Like people go, what? Yeah, of course that's wrong. Well, is it wrong? Yeah. You know, is it wrong? <clears throat> and people are going to go, Bo, man, you're buying into all the the jargon. But I, I want people to see in our culture, too, that in in a world that maybe doesn't have an objective morality right. in, in God, then really what is what 
Ravi did? I mean, what is it? Yeah. Is it is it bad? Good? Is it um, a man who had a lot of power utilized that power for self pleasure? Right. Um, did he force people into it? Um, and if he did, okay, was that wrong? Right. And why is it wrong? Right. Um, and you know, I think even having talks like that is really important nowadays. Yeah. You know, because uh, we live in a day and age, Peter, where it seems like simple question or simple, yeah, questions are no longer simple. Right. And, you know, are you upset? Do you think it's wrong because a man abused a woman or right. coerced a woman? Well, is Ravi really a man? Are those women really women? Right. Even in our day, that would be, it could be controversial. Right. You know, like we live in a day and age where people are wondering if there's more than, um, you know, is there more than two genders? Genders, uh, infinite amounts. Is there? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it really it's like we we almost become what's the word non coherent right anymore. Like what makes it wrong is is Ravi really a man? Right. And are these women really women? Right. Would it be less wrong if he was a woman abusing men? Or would he? Is it wrong if he's a man identifying as a woman, right. uh, coercing a woman who's identifying as a man? Right. <laughs> and it becomes confusing <laughs> yeah. at a certain point. Right. It becomes really, really confusing. Yeah. And so I, I, I laugh in the sense not because of what I'm saying about the identification. It's just I laugh because it's hard to sometimes figure right. out what I'm saying. Right. You that know? you know, it's it sounds like gobbledygook because it is. You know, like we, we've we've moved into the place where there are no objective standards or definitions. But that all has happened. Like I said, the the taking over of the language has happened from people who once considered themselves oppressed or victim status within the country. And then, like I said, seizing that power, they've moved in a different direction. So uh, when we think about sexual oppression or physical oppression or any other type of oppression that happens through power, once again, we have to trace it back to the root, that the root is the power itself. Mm. And unless there is a supernatural work inside of our lives that enables us to be humble within the power that we've been granted, then we're going to use it in a way that's not good. <laughs> we're yeah. going to use it in a way that will pleasure ourselves. And again, your way of pleasing yourself may not be sexual, but it might be something else, right? It, it might, might just be, be equally horrible. Right. You know, and I, I see this happen all the time. You know, I, me and you, we see this all the time because of what we do, where you have the event where, you know, we deal with adultery a lot, you know, in our, in our line of work from the man and from the woman, right? It happens on both ends. And what almost always happens is there's, there's the initial reaction, the adultery happens, and then the person who is hurt is now in that victim category. And they start realizing like, oh, I could get away with anything in this marriage. I could do whatever I want. And whenever my spouse comes against me, all I have to say is, you didn't think about that when you cheated on me, did you? Right? And I could do what I want with the kids, and I could do what I want with the marriage, and I could set myself up as the leader of the household, and they can't do nothing about it. And most men, what we've seen in our situation is most men get silenced. Right. 
and then they don't say nothing. Right. And and basically their house becomes a place they live in mm-hmm. and they sleep in. But as far as having any real important function right. within the household, it's it's void. Right. But they've they've abdicated that role as the leader, the head of the house, and they don't want it back. And you know, even in addiction recovery we see the same things where there's an enabling spouse and the reason why the spouse enables their partner and also doesn't leave them is because secretly they want them to be in their in their junk. They want them to be in their addiction because it gives them power. Mm. They can do what they want to that person and they can make whatever decisions that they want. And I think in all of us, I know that sounds gross, what Peter's talking about, and we go, man, I would never do that. Right. But I think if we check our hearts, right. <laughs> like we see that, man, that is so stinking scary true. Right. Where there's something about us that when we see even the failure of our loved ones hmm. um, or our children or, or our, you know, our spouse, right. you know, we tend to think in ourselves, oh, I'm, I'm needed. Right. You know, and this feels good. Yeah. You know, I'm in, impo- yeah. I have a purpose. And boy, you know, anyway, hey, it was another great podcast kind of taking Ravi's situation and kind of getting into the roots of it and how pride is really a big part of this. Um, And maybe how we can, uh, when we're looking and listening to people, how we can be listening uh, to their hearts and not just their words. But are they are they sharing about their temptations? Is there an honest approach to that? Um, you know, so that you're not shocked, you know, I hope that no one would be shocked by anything that we, we would be found out on. Right. Like, I hope someone wouldn't go, oh my gosh, they, you know, we, we looked up Bo's whatever record and we saw that he watched pornography. Right. I hope people wouldn't go, oh my gosh, like, I, you know, I'm shocked by that. I think that we would go, yeah, Bo struggles with that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Because of my talking about it yeah you know i would want people to be up on that and that's that's the whole thing you know and and me and you talk about this so often in this podcast and from the pulpit and all the time where the leadership in the bible is so different the first peter 5 passage is so mind-blowingly different because it's saying you could either lead through power and authority which is the what peter says the gentiles do or you could lead through humility and example and being an example to people means that you are leading through weakness. You're leading through vulnerability so that people don't see you as like Bo's the guy, you know, or Peter's the guy. Like I'm listening to these people or I'm following them because they're so good or because they're so awesome or because they have it figured out. Or instead you would look at them and say, no, like I'm following them because they're an example, not just in strength, but they're an example in weakness. They're an example of what to do better uh, and how to move differently in my life. And that in and of itself, leading in that way, is the humbling factor. Because what pride wants you to do is once you get that authority and once you get that position, is to start skewing people's view of you to make them think that you're like flawless without, without any issues. Because from that perfected state, you then have the authority to do what you want to people. But from the humble state, when people see you as you really are, it removes that that superiority that enables you to do what you want in people's life. You know, and once again, that's exactly how Ravi got in with these women 
is he used his position as like a spiritual leader to basically convince these women that anything he says is good, you know? So if he's talking to me about this stuff, that's good. But if he's also encouraging me to do this, well, it's, it's Ravi. So obviously what he's saying is good. And that's also what enabled him to silence the women that came out against him while he was alive. Because all he had to say is, I didn't do that. And people who were idolizing Ravi were so ready to believe him without any evidence just because Ravi said it, you know? So it's, it's definitely something that we need to think about from the people that we look up to, but it's also what we need to think about for the people that look up to us, the way that we lead. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.